This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Matthias, welcome back. Glad to have you back with us. Glad to be back. I I took a much-needed vacation, but I'm glad I could talk about the Titans and glad I could talk positively about the Titans, which is... Hasn't been the case sometimes this season, but it it has as of late, and it's good news. Well, we've got a lot of fun things to talk about because not only are the Titans coming off of a big win in which they really manhandled the Detroit Lions from start to finish, they're coming up on uh, what's probably going to be the most exciting game they'll play this year at Green Bay on Sunday Night Football. Mike Vrabel made the comment on Monday that this is probably going to be the toughest game that the Titans will have played all year, and I think he's probably right. It's a really good Green Bay team. Joining us later on to help us preview that Green Bay team is Peter Bukowski, who is a Packers analyst for SB Nation. He hosts a really popular Packers podcast for SB Nation called Locked on Packers. Uh, Really excited to have him on later on. Matias and I got to catch up with him earlier. And we're also going to recap the Lions game. We're going to talk about this number one Titans offense. It feels weird to say, but it's true now after the Kansas City Chiefs didn't score a whole lot of points against the New Orleans Saints. Guys, I mean, there's a lot to pick from as we get started coming out of the Detroit Lions game. Uh, You know, for second year in a row, or, or excuse me, second week in a row, the Titans took care of an opponent that they needed to take care of. Uh, they get to 10 wins, breaking the seemingly endless 9-7 and seven spell. And I wrote a column at the end of the game yesterday kind of identifying, you know, what's the, what is it about this year's Titans team that has already, in terms of regular season wins, separated them from the four, the three, uh, or the four, nine, and seven teams. And one of the ones that I came up with was just what I, what I just said, that they're beating the teams that they should beat. They've done it all year except for the Bengals game, which, I mean, I think every NFL team, no matter how good, is is in for at least one you know meltdown performance each season. Uh, they're doing what they need to do, and they do have flaws, and those flaws need to be talked about and criticized. But you got to give them a lot of credit for what they've been able to do this year. I mean, it's been an, a, a pretty impressive run, and, and it's it would be hard to ask for a lot more than what they've done. Yeah, two weeks ago, I think I called this a potential trap game, you know, because the Lions have Stafford. They still have uh, decent talent uh, across the board. They had a new coach. Uh, This could have been a game where the Titans let us down, which they they are prone to. We saw it in the Bengals game, Uh, but they didn't. They they made the plays that were necessary. They got turnovers when they really needed it. Uh, The defense is still not great, but they played. They've been playing a little better these last two weeks. Hopefully, it's a sign uh, of things to come and not just the opposition that they've played against. But, I mean, the story is the offense. The 
when we've never had a Titans team that puts up 40 points a game, 30 points a game, almost like every week. And it's just, it's incredible to watch. It's really fun. It's exciting because as much as we would like to have a good defense, no one really likes defensive football all that much. I think we all want to see an efficient offense that, that scores a lot of touchdowns. And that's exactly what the Titans are right now. And it's a great time uh, to be a Titans fan. Yeah, and even when Chris Johnson was, you know, running for 2,000 yards, it still didn't feel like the running game was as dominant. It, it felt like any time he touched the ball, it could go to the house, but it also felt like he could also get wrapped up in the backfield and, you know, they'd lose the yard or whatever, and they wouldn't be able to dig themselves out of that hole and they'd have to punt two plays later. Now it feels like if they run the ball twice and Derrick Henry gets one yard, that's no problem. Tannehill's just going to find... Jeffrey Swaim or Nick Westerbrook or Westbrook Aquina or I was going to call him Westbrook. It's it's just Westbrook Aquina um, or just in any player on the roster. He'll find them wide open for a first down and then he'll get two more cracks at it and then he'll rip one. So it's it's clearly the most dominant offense I've ever seen the Titans have. And it's I mean, it's fun to watch like they've dealt with injuries. They've had to rotate players in and out like it's not like this is a perfect season. Like there's room for improvement. They finally got a back last week who can catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, they, they, one of the easiest ways to get yards in the NFL and they haven't even had that. So, I mean, not only could you not ask for more, I'm not sure that anybody in the NFL has ever done this. Yeah. And, you know, as I alluded to a minute ago, this Titans offense is number one, in the league, in terms of both yards and scoring offense, I mean, I mean, the people around the Titans over the last twenty years have kind of been in poverty in that regard. I mean, it hadn't been very often that they've had uh, high octane, powerful offenses, and I think that it's not hard to explain why it is the way that it is, and it's because literally everything is good, even their weakest component, which is the pass protection, is still you know more than passable. And you've got Ryan Tannehill, this this all-pro MVP-level quarterback play you're getting from him. You're getting an, M- an MVP type of season from Derrick Henry out of the backfield. And then you've got two high-quality receivers on the perimeter in Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. And, oh, yeah, if you focus on them in the passing game, you got Jonu Smith and Anthony Ferkser who are going to hurt you over the middle. Oh, and as Will just mentioned, Darrington Evans, this pass-catching running back with 4-3 speed, is fully healthy now and looks great. Oh, and by the way, Adam Humphreys might come back before the playoffs start. This really good third-down converting slot receiver. I mean, and Ryan Tannehill said this after the game. He said, when you play the Titans and you're a defense, there is no, okay, well, we're going to focus on X. Because if you do that, you're going to get killed by something else. And, you know... I hate making comparisons like this, but you look at the numbers comparing the Titans and the Chiefs and and comparing uh, particularly Tannehill to Patrick Mahomes, there's not a whole lot of difference. And it feels weird to say it. It feels a little sacrilegious coming out of my mouth, but it's true. That is, this Titans offense is incredible. And you all know me. I am not easily impressed. And I have been just uh you know knocked out of my chair by this titans offense this year they have been awesome it's it's unbelievable like we all expected some form of regression 
uh, after that run that Tannehill and Henry had last year. And we weren't expecting like a huge negative regression. We thought they would become more of a middle of the pack, maybe, you know, 10th in the league offensive unit. It's been positive regression. Everyone is playing even better than during that stretch. And it's just not something that we saw coming. It's not something that probably anyone saw coming. And I give a lot of credit to Arthur Smith for riding the ship uh, starting last season and coming into this season. Uh, He really has a really good feel for game plans, really good feel for in-game play calling. Tannehill, like you said, is playing at an MVP level. Derrick Henry is even playing at an MVP level. Corey Davis is, I mean, he's in a contract here, and he is going to get paid with the way he's playing. But I, I, I want to point out that, that there are players that are just stepping up. We, Like we've mentioned, we have had so many injuries on that side of the ball, and it's just a well-oiled machine that keeps churning. There's no, there's no, there's no drop-off. John who gets injured, he has an ankle injury. Ferkser steps up. Pruitt steps up. Uh, Darrington, Evans, Darrington Evans gets injured for, for several weeks. Jeremy McNichol steps up. So it's just guys that keep coming in, keep coming in, keep making plays, and the offense just keeps going and keeps going. And it's truly a, a sight to behold, especially after what we've seen uh, over the past decade or so. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a conversation that I've had with y'all in the past, but it really makes you wonder how much is the talent the Titans have, how much of it is Arthur Smith, how much of it is the chemistry. Like, is this a house of cards that falls once Arthur Smith leaves? Is it if they don't have Corey Davis? Because Corey Davis has been incredibly efficient, and he's been, you know, we, we've talked about him a lot, but he's one of the less – less respected players in the league for what he's done this year. But, you know, if, if he walks in free agency because somebody gives him a big deal, if John has gone, like, is there one piece that just knocks down this house of cards? And is it Arthur Smith? Because we've seen most of these players other than AJ Brown, who granted is a big piece, but I mean, we've seen Corey Davis, Derek Henry and, uh, Johnu Smith on the field together. Like we've seen them without Arthur Smith and granted they didn't have Tannehill, but at the same time, like they didn't look anywhere near what they are now. And uh, again, having a great offensive coordinator and a great quarterback changes a lot of things, but you know, Arthur Smith and Tannehill came, you know, as sort of a package deal because they came in the same off season. So I don't know how much of it is one and how much of it is the other, because before the season I was very, very vocal about, I thought that uh, it, it was not not a secret or anything. They talked about it in the past before, but Tannehill would call his own plays. They'd run hurry up. They ran a lot of hurry up early in the season, and they were on record saying that when they go hurry up, it's more it's more of Tannehill kind of saying, "Okay, this is what I see." It's something that you know he said that it was it was things that he talked with Arthur Smith about on the sidelines beforehand before he did it. But at the end of the day, it was Tannehill making the decision to go and hurry up and pull the trigger and so I don't know how much of it is Tannehill's innate ability to see what's going on and know how to attack it or how much of it is game plan like I don't want to find out uh, but I feel like we're going to in terms of Arthur Smith getting a head coaching job if not this year next year but I, I guess the big takeaway is just enjoy what you're seeing because this is one of the few times you know for any NFL team where you get to see the peak performances of so many players continue over longer than just one season. Adore Jackson's back. 
That was pretty big news going into Sunday's game. Will, you said you thought he played well. Um, I mean, we, we could have the sports talky discussion of how will this help the Titans moving forward, but it, I, I mean, that's question sort of answers itself. They have their best cornerback back, and so whereas they started the season with Malcolm Butler, Jonathan Joseph, and Chris Jackson, they're going to finish the season with Dory Jackson, Desmond King, and Malcolm Butler. I think that probably makes Vaccaro better when he gets back. It, it makes Bayard better, uh, who, who had his first pick of the season on Sunday. Uh, it, it's a big addition for them. It really is. Yeah, it, it just kind of solidifies one of the, the weaknesses uh, of the team. I'm still concerned. I'm still concerned. I mean, Marvin Jones absolutely destroyed us. Ten catches for 112 yards. He's pretty much uncoverable. The defense play somewhat better but i still see too many receivers running wide open uh too much ty smith of course hopefully once adore gets his legs back under him that won't happen anymore but i would like to see chris and fulton take that spot if, if that's possible uh instead of ty smith but i still don't think the linebackers are there the the, the running backs are, are getting open pretty often they're also running right up the middle and there's not much resistance there but if they can just play slightly better going into the playoffs, uh, uh, pass rush. I, I didn't even mention the pass rush. I can't remember the last time we had a sack. I, I cannot. So I cannot remember. It, it's to the point where I'm missing Clowney, who I don't even think he has a sack this season, and I'm missing no, no. because You're of Clowney. It's crit. I am missing just the the sight of his of his dreads coming out of his helmet because no one else is doing anything of note. From the edges, Harold Landry is trying, but he can't do it all himself. Jeffrey Simmons is trying, but he can't do it all himself. And there's just no one else who's making an impact. I mean, Stafford had so much time to throw in this game. Uh, thankfully, he didn't tear us apart. But once we get to the playoffs, like we're not going to have that luxury. Well, as we round out, well, first of all, I'll, I'll let you, because you said you thought Adore played well yesterday. Yeah, I, the reason I said that is because, if, well, I guess I need to take a step back. He played well when he played on the boundary, which is the way he's been his whole career. That's what he always should have been. That's what he should be now. So, like, as long as Mike Vrabel, and this is asking a lot, as long as Mike Vrabel understands how to use his players correctly, then he'll go outside and replace Ty Smith, and it'll be Desmond King in the slot, and... Malcolm Butler on the most physical wide receiver and Edward Jackson on the fastest wide receiver. Because yesterday, that's what they did for a little bit of the game where they put uh, Malcolm Butler on number 11, Marvin Jones, and kind of locked him up the whole time. Now, Marvin Jones had a billion yards, but part of that is because the Titans did some things in secondary. I, I won't get too into it, but the point of this is when they let Adoree Jackson go out and match on the outside versus the deep threats, he did great. He was in the hip pocket. Like he was targeted once deep and it was an incompletion that looked effortless. So that's all great news. Now you have to ask yourself, is Mike Vrabel going to see that and say, okay, this is what he did. Well, this is what he didn't do. Well, let's make sure we put him in an advantageous situation. And the answer to that is probably no. He's probably going to keep trying to put him in different positions and they're going to keep moving him around because Mike Vrabel just can't help but try things. So, you know, we'll see. But if they ever do line up with Butler and Adore on the outside and then King on the inside, that's 
the be- that's the best trio of corners they've had since Logan Ryan, Adoree, and Malcolm were healthy. Maybe the Falcons game last year when they did such a good job against that passing offense. Maybe the Browns game when they had all the turnovers. But either way, it's leaps and bounds better than what we've seen. So as as we close out this sort of recap of the Lions game, I want and I feel like we discussed this to an extent last week. Will and I did, but but Matthias, you're back, and I feel like we have some more information to go off of now. When you look ahead to the playoffs, because at this point, uh, I think NBC last night gave the Titans a 97 percent chance to make the playoffs. They're going to be playing in January. Are they good enough to win games? We know that the offense is going to score a ton of points, but this defense, which was a liability against you know a bad Lions team, is going to get exposed by the Lamar Jacksons of the world and the Patrick Mahomeses of the world and the Josh Allenses of the world. But can is the offense to the point where it's just going to outscore anybody? I mean, what do we think about this team's potential to win games in the postseason? So, yeah, we kind of saw it in the Browns game. Like, we got torn apart on defense, and we ended up losing that game. Probably should have lost by more than we actually did. Uh, the final score was a bit fluky, but, you know, they, it was a bad game. It was really bad. And the Browns are one of the teams that I think we would actually play them right now in the playoffs. I think that would be the 4-5 matchup, if, I, if, I, if I'm correct there. That would be a really interesting rematch because I don't think the Titans would get blown out to that capacity, but if Baker Mayfield keeps playing like this, like I, I would definitely be concerned. I think the Titans are probably on par with the Browns right now. I, I know they just destroyed us, but I think the Titans and the Browns are probably tied for their, the fourth best team, third best team, sorry, in the AFC. The Steelers look like absolute frauds. Uh, we're recording this during Monday Night Football. They're down, they're down 10-0 to the, to the Cincinnati Bengals, who are one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, the Chiefs and Bills, to me, are a clear step above the Titans and the Browns. Their offenses are just are just too good. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are playing uh, at serious MVP levels. Plus, they have defenses that are opportunistic, and they're very well-schemed and well-coached. And in the playoffs, it's really important. We've talked about this in the past. And I think I would give them the edge just because they have that defense where they can lock you down and can— make your offense go through stretches where where you're not putting the ball in the end zone. So I would put those two in front, but I yeah, the Titans can win games because they're putting up 40 points a game against against anyone. So I think they have a chance against anyone. Uh, and we saw that last year when they made the AFC Championship. Yeah, the defense was better, but it was mostly the, the, the offense with Derrick Henry carrying them. So I wouldn't count them out, but yeah, I still need to see the defense be better if I'm – to say that they're an actual Super Bowl contender. So looking at the playoff standings right now, the teams with the best chance, best chance of making the playoffs are the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Bills, the Colts, uh, the Browns, the Titans, uh, and Baltimore. That, no, that's, Miami. That's, Miami is ahead of Baltimore. N- not on. Not on. Uh, FPI for whatever it's worth. Just yeah, not in terms of right. Play. Like if the season ended today, Miami would be in, but Baltimore actually has better yes. odds. Yeah. Oh, I got, you. I got. You. So, uh, those are all teams that the Titans have played in the last 
year. You know, the the Chiefs, they, they played twice last year. But the point is, like, they've put up 30-plus points on the Chiefs. They've beaten the Chiefs. They, they were, what was it, 27? They had 27 points or something against the Steelers, and then they lost that game. But that was when – that was the game after uh, Taylor Lewan got hurt. And it was before AJ was fully healthy. It, it, it was one of those games where it was early in the season, but they figured it out in the second half and they started going. The Bills, they beat handily. The Colts, the second time they played them, they absolutely stomped them out. Now, it was without Buckner, but at the same time, it, that, you know, the. I'm not going to say that he doesn't make a massive difference because he does, but at the same time, the the Titans whole thing is can you put up points and once they figure out who to attack on your defense they just go to work on them so I mean I fully expect that they'll be able to put 30 on the Colts if they played them again the Browns they had that massive second half where if Adam Humphreys doesn't basically lateral the inter, lateral an interception to a defender there's a good chance that that game is a lot lot closer and the Titans probably have a chance to win it um and then they beat the Ravens. So these aren't teams like it's not like the Titans have just played the Jaguars and the Texans and they're going to have to step up in competition. Like they've played all these hard teams before. Like they, the coaching staff, for better or worse, knows what they're good at. I don't know if they can stop them on defense, but it's not, they're not going to be surprised and say, you know, we put Jonathan Joseph on Tyreek Hill and it just didn't work and we don't know why. I mean, they, they know what they're getting into. So, and I know Jonathan Joseph's not on the team. It's just I hate him so very much. Um, and I've already thrown Ty Smith under the bus a lot. But I, I think this team can beat anybody. I think they've got the weapons to score 30 points a game if things go, you know, clearly wrong. Like, they've done that several times. And I think if everything goes right, they can score 40 and 50. And that, that sounds lofty, but they're on pace to be the first team in history with, if you think Derrick Henry gets 2,000 yards, with a 2,000-yard rusher, 2,000-yard receivers, and a 4,000-yard uh, passer, that's from A to Z Sports. I think it. I think it is. I mean, I think you probably could say they'd be the first team of a 1,000-yard receiver and uh, a 2,000-yard rusher, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But regardless, the point stands in that I don't feel comfortable playing some of the better teams because everybody seems like they can score on us, but I also don't feel comfortable playing the bad teams because I know teams can score on us well, so and, it's just gonna have to be big you know high scoring shootouts I agree with what you said will especially in the sense of this is probably my position on this issue they can beat anybody they can also lose to anybody I mean they might lose to the Jets they might beat the Chiefs you know I, I, that's where I am with this Titans team and as well as they played over the last two weeks, like you said, Matias, it was just three weeks ago that they got destroyed at home by the Browns. So we'll, we'll certainly see what happens. Uh, it, it's going to be exciting to watch over the course of the season. Something else that's going to be exciting to watch is the Titans this week on Sunday Night Football where they will take on the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. And earlier today, Matias and I had a chance to chat with Peter Bukowski, who covers the Packers for SB Nation and hosts the Locked on Packers podcast. And he let us know everything important that we and you Titans fans need to know as we head into watching the Titans this week on Sunday Night Football. We talked about Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and everything else significant heading into this game. And you're going to hear that conversation in 30 seconds. 
We are joined now by someone who covers the Packers for SB Nation and and many other platforms. He has a Packers podcast that he does. We figured this would be the guy to go to to get the inside scoop on what Mike Vrabel called on Monday the best team the Titans have played this season. That is Peter Bukowski. Peter, thank you so much for hopping on with us. I'm glad to be here, guys. I want to start out, Peter, with what I personally think is the most intriguing storyline of this game, and that is Matt LaFleur, who was, of course, the Titans offensive coordinator back in 2018. He was a part of the head coaching search that led to them hiring Mike Vrabel, spent a year in Tennessee, and then goes to Green Bay, where he has had, I think, by just about any metric, immense success. As someone that that knows this team well, that studies this team how has uh, excuse me? How has Matt Lafleur uh, impacted the Packers since Mike McCarthy was sent out the door? What have his biggest strengths been, and how has he been able to have such you know astounding success so quickly? You know what I think is really interesting, guys, is Matt Lafleur uh, came to Green Bay and succeeded in a number of the ways that Mike Rabel did, and and we can set aside for a second. The offensive success in year two, this has been either the best or the second best offense basically from week one on. And you you look at what a head coach's responsibilities are. It's why I, I think teams miss on trying to, to search for scheme. Malafour is an excellent tactician. He's an excellent play designer and play caller. His game plans, even in that wonky year with Tennessee where the offense wasn't great, he consistently had, in my opinion, quality game plans. But he, like Mike Vrabel, is a terrific communicator. He is someone who empowers his players like Mike Vrabel does, and he feels like a part of the team. His players feel like they, he is one of them, not above them, where, where in a lot of cultures the coach is in the hierarchy you know, somewhere above the players in a different level. And, and Matt LaFleur just doesn't approach things like that. And so that's allowed him and Aaron Rodgers to forge a bond. And you just talk to any player on this team and to a man, they will tell you, especially if they were there in 2018 and before that, that when Matt LaFleur came in, he fundamentally changed the culture in Green Bay. And that can seem like a cliche thing, but he came in and he said, look, we are going to empower our players. He created a leadership council of players who could come to him earlier in the season, about a month ago. Packers defensive players went to defensive coordinator Mike Patton and said, hey, we need to make some changes. And guess what? He listened, and they've made those changes, and they've been much better defensively as a result of those changes. So I think culturally, as much as anything you can see X's and O's wise, is why Matt LaFleur has had a lot of success. And I do think you have to give some credit to, to guys like Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and Mike Brabel, who are guys that Matt LaFleur has been around. He, he speaks often about his experiences with those other coaches, and the reasons that he does things are because he's seen other head coaches do things that way. Yeah, you mentioned uh, culture, and, and it's real. It might be a cliche, but we in Tennessee definitely know that that it's a real thing, and it contributes to success because we saw it with Malarkey uh, and now with Frabel, and we're seeing it in Green Bay with, with LeFleur. So it's definitely something that's real. You mentioned uh, quickly uh, about the Packers' second-year success uh, on offense. It's been very apparent that they've hit their stride. 
uh, in Matt LaFleur's offense in the second season. The numbers show it. The analytics show it. The eye test definitely shows it. What do you think has been the difference between this year and last year? And what has LaFleur specifically done to bring back what really seems like vintage Aaron Rodgers, which we hadn't seen last year and we hadn't seen a couple of years before either? Well, I think it's two important things, guys. And, and it starts with the year two part of this. So the details are a little bit better. The spacing is a little bit better. I can think of a couple plays in Saturday night's game against Carolina. The Packers, they've let Carolina get back into the game a little bit. The offense is struggling. And so they go to a pet play of theirs. They go trips to one side, Devontae Adams to the other side. And Robert Tunyon runs a little pick play for Alan Lazard. And, and he gets wide open. Those are the kinds of plays that they didn't have the timing down last year. They didn't have the details down last year of how to sell the pick. So it's not offensive pass interference. They got called for offensive pass interference, you know, half a dozen times last year on these pick routes. And it was a problem. Mike McCarthy's offense, they try to run these man beaters and they just didn't, uh, you know, uh, execute them with any kind of effectiveness. So the spacing is better. And the details, which was what Matt LaFleur preached during the whole um, quarantine offseason, these are the little things that are going to take this offense to the next level. And then the other thing is Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers had a lot of time to sit down and, and, and have these, you know, Zoom calls and conferences and all these things and say, okay, these are the plays that we like. These are the plays that we don't like. And Matt LaFleur was able to convince Aaron Rodgers, look, pre-snap motion is a huge part of how we can be successful Here's X, Y, Z reasons why. And Rodgers bought in. So there was, there was a mutual buy-in here. Uh, Matt LaFleur took a lot of the Aaron Rodgers stuff, you know, the, the everything at the line of scrimmage. No quarterback who's run this Shanahan tree offense has the kind of freedom at the line of scrimmage that Aaron Rodgers does. Not Matt Ryan in Atlanta, not Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. Aaron Rodgers has carte blanche in a way that no other quarterback in the system has done. Matt LaFleur had to build that for him. And, and they, they've done that. They've gone to spread formations this year that they didn't go to these, these um, usually out of big personnel, they'll go two tight ends or two running backs and go five wide empty backfield and, and make defenses declare what they want to do. They've, they've created a playbook now that synthesizes the things that Aaron Rodgers does well, but within the context of this Matt LaFleur offense that is so good. And I just want to add something here, guys. When I look at this Titans team, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Packers in year two, that Kyle Shanahan with the Falcons in year two, their year two was 2016. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Titans in year two of this offense, this is the same core offense that Arthur Smith runs with some important tweaks, obviously catering to Derrick Henry and those kinds of things. I don't think it's a coincidence that in year two, Matt LaFleur leaves, Arthur Smith takes over, that that's when the offense takes off. Because I think year two is a critical part of the development of this offense for all the reasons I mentioned at the top, the details, the spacing, all of those things are so essential to making this all work. Just the run actions. I mean, David Bakhtiari went on the athletic podcast with Robert Mays and said when Mike McCarthy was the coach, they didn't buy our run actions. Well, those run actions, uh, number one, they build over time. But number two, that's about execution. That's about cohesiveness. It's about selling it as much as it is about running the ball effectively. And it takes some time to get those things together. So 
I think, you know, Arthur Smith is a great coach. Matt LaFleur spoke glowingly about Arthur Smith this week, about the kind of coach that he thinks he is, the kind of leader that he thinks he is. But I think part of this is Matt LaFleur set them on this course. And in some ways, I think he deserves at least some credit for what this offense looks like in year two, which was last year. And then, of course, Arthur Smith has has even, I think, elevated it to a new level in year three and, and, and grown it. We've seen Corey Davis break out. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is still playing great. So I, I, I just I think it's it's something worth considering here. Let's talk about this Packers defense because, you know, the Titans have – Do we least, have to? <laughs> you know, the Titans is maybe one of few that's worse because they have the least sacks in the NFL. But the Titans also have the number one offense in the NFL now by virtually every metric, points, yards, uh, the, the analytics stuff. What can we expect to see from this Packers defense going against the likes of Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and Corey Davis this week? Yeah, I think what we're going to see is a lot of the the same approach that the Packers took against um, the Eagles and against the 49ers, uh, and, and I would say more so the 49ers. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna. Uh, my guess, this is just we haven't seen many teams that can that can run the ball the way the Titans can this season. But so you know, the, the Packers I think are going to go to this bare front that they went to against the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. Um, they're going to try and fill every gap, play a little bit bigger than they have most of the season. Mike Patton wants to play nickel. He wants to play dime. Well, you can't do that against Tennessee or Derrick Henry will just run over every defensive back that you have on your roster. So the Packers are going to have to play bigger. And then that, that raises this question about, okay, how do you handle the back? Because Jair Alexander is playing at an elite level as a cornerback. Uh, Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage have been excellent. Uh, this season, especially the last month or two, Darnell Savage has really come on as an impact player, a playmaker in this secondary. But Kevin King is just, he's not a very good player right now. He's inconsistent. Um, and, and for all of the size and the athleticism, he just played a play. The effort isn't there. The technique isn't there. The mentality isn't there. And when he's locked in, he can be a good player. Uh, unfortunately, he just doesn't always play locked in. Maybe in a big game, that's that's the version of Kevin King that the Packers will see. But so are you going to go single high safety, match Jair Alexander on A.J. Brown, um, and, and shadow that way? That's not something Mike Patton wants to do. So I, they're going to have to mix coverages. Who are you going to play deep? Because Darnell Savage has, has been excellent in the box, but that's where Adrian Amos is also at his best as this sort of lurk underneath Robert Defender. And, and then could you do what the Patriots have often done and say, okay, um, rather than match one versus one, let's put Alexander on Corey Davis, who's been awesome this year, uh, and then put Kevin King on A.J. Brown, shadow that way, and then just give safety help. Well, that would be a lot easier if the, if you felt like you didn't have to allocate eight guys in the box to stop Derrick Henry and you didn't have to worry about Johnny Smith. So this this Titans offense really provides – a lot of challenges for any defense. I'm, I'm fascinated, frankly, to see how Mike Patton decides to attack it. And, and a lot of Packer fans excited is not the word. I think nervous, I think uh, apprehensive, I think anxiety filled, yeah. I think dread, uh, dreading is, is how I would describe it for most Packer fans. So uh, I, I do think it's an, it's an interesting question, but their run defense the last month, especially has been much better. Um, and uh, ever since they've gone to, more of these two linebacker sets with, 
with either Kamel Martin and Chris Barnes on the field with Christian Kirksey, their defense has been a, has been much better. It turns out when you have alley defenders who are good run defenders, your run defense gets a lot better. Yeah, I, I was going to touch on the run defense because I've watched it and it's throughout the season it's been severely criticized and I think it's pretty warranted. They just seem really out of sync in terms of their run fits, their responsibilities, their tackling. But yeah, over the last three games, they they do they have definitely played better. Uh, regardless, it, it still seems like a unit the Titans can exploit with with their offensive line and with Derrick Henry. Do you think there's anything in particular why that unit has been so underwhelming this season? Because I I, I don't recall that unit being all that bad the the past couple of seasons. And what what do you think Mike Pettin could do in this game to to minimize Henry's impact? Yeah, you know. I, they were they were not great last year, and so that's part of it, right? Um, and, and so you know they, they just have not been historically a team that that cares that much about run defense. But I, I think this is worth pointing out um, since week nine. Uh, so you know you're talking about you know almost half the season now. Um, the Packers are 11th in rush EPA per play um, on early downs. And the Titans have weirdly been an awesome team on early downs uh, running the ball and a bad team on third down running the ball in terms of EPA per play. So that's, that's sort of a, uh, a weird juxtaposition there. So quietly, Green Bay's run defense has gotten much better. I don't know if that's sustainable against the Titans. The Titans are, are a special beast with, with their Henry uh, the, the Packers have just with Mike Patton have not prioritized the run defense. And, and that's just the reality of it through team building, through scheme. Um, their, their thought was sort of, you know, you can play run defense on the way of the quarterback. And, and I think as a philosophy, I understand that and, and probably agree with it, frankly, um, that, you know, passing defense is so much more important. The problem for the Packers this year is that the passing defense has not been as good as it was last year. And the big reason is the pass rush has not been the same. Uh, Preston Smith has not played as well. Kenny Clark got off to a bit of a sluggish start. The last couple of weeks, they've been much better. Rashawn Gary is coming on in year two as a pass rusher. Uh, Preston Smith is, is putting things together. And Darius Smith is, you know, sort of quietly been one of the best you know, five edge rushers in football again this season uh, after uh, the Packers paid him and he had his breakout year in 2019. So, um, I, I would say the defense is, is improving. I think part of it is some, some bad stretch of opponents, but it is, it is the kind of thing that I, I think you could point to and say, okay, the 49ers game and the NFC championship game has been this huge point of contention for fans over the off season. It's just not nearly as big an issue for this team as it was, you know, say last year. And, and certainly in the playoffs, they had the bad game against Dalvin cook. Dalvin cook is a special player. Sometimes that happens. If they can avoid that against the Titans, if they can avoid letting Derrick Henry score, I think Cook had four touchdowns in that game at Lambeau Field, which was, by the way, played in a tornado. Um, then, then I think Green Bay has a good chance to play good enough defense to hold the Titans under whatever point total Green Bay is going to get to. Because as you guys mentioned at the top, this Titans defense is very bad and this Packers offense is very good. And oh, by the way, they come in pissed off about how they played on Saturday against the Panthers. The, the big freak out in the NFL over the off season was over what the Packers did in the first round of the draft. Uh, 
instead mm. of going with the receiver, they went for Jordan Love. The Remind me what happened, guys. Yeah, so so uh, crazy. <laughs> they didn't draft a receiver. They drafted a fringe second round developmental quarterback in the twenties. Um, h- how has that panned out? I mean, we see the success that this offense has had, despite the fact that. Devontae Adams is the only receiver that you could probably walk around on the street and expect the average NFL fan to know their name. Uh, so in that sense, I guess it's working out. But also, I, I, I still feel like the jury is out on saying, you know, I feel like we should hold off on saying, oh, well, you know, they, they uh, outsmarted us and they knew what they were doing. What's your sort of perspective on, on how this has played out since April? You know, it is something that I think at the time was much more surprising. Um, and and the more that I that I looked into it, the more that I, you know, frankly studied how Aaron Rodgers played in 2019. And I wrote a couple pieces about this for SB Nation. And I was like, yeah, you know, the reason the play-action game was not very good last year is because Aaron Rodgers didn't play very well in the play-action game. And, and the reason they didn't create a lot of big plays down the field last year is because Aaron Rodgers wasn't really accurate throwing deep balls. And you sort of, you know, come to this confluence of events and you go, okay, I kind of guessed why they they drafted Jordan Love. On the other hand, um, they, they have gotten internal development from their players at a level that I don't think we could have foreseen. And, and maybe the Packers did. In fact, they said on draft weekend, look, after the first two rounds, uh, we felt like none of the guys we could have drafted were, were more talented than the developmental guys that we have in-house. And I would say by and large, that was right. I mean, Gabriel Davis has, has done some nice things in Buffalo, you know, we're starting to see someone like Quez Watkins in, in Philly get some run. Uh, but, you know, Mark Valdez-Scanling is is having his best season as a pro. He's been um, dynamic at times, and he's been he's been the Packers' second-best receiver at times. Alan Lazard went into New Orleans without Devontae Adams and put up 130-plus yards and, and touchdowns against the Saints team that, you know, is probably the second-best team in the NFC, if, it, if, if not the first team in the NFC. Uh, So their idea that they could get by without having to add talent at the receiver position, especially looks like it was a gamble um, that was less of a gamble than we thought it was at the time, that it was at at worst an educated guess. And they were probably right about that. This, this Packers offense, it's, it's, it's tough to complain about the productivity that they're getting. I think this also is a, is a point worth making green Bay was in on Austin Hooper uh, the free agent tight end uh, in in the offseason part of 2020. And they didn't get him because he went for what I thought was a preposterous amount of money in Cleveland. Instead, an undrafted free agent from Indiana State, a former quarterback, is swinging fantasy leagues across the world, uh, Bob Tunyon. And he has been, by you know football outsiders, the second most impactful tight end in the league this season by football outsiders, basically three tight ends have mattered this year in terms of value over average. It's Travis Kelsey, it's Robert Tunyon. And for a while it was George Kittle. Uh, Tunyon has, has separated himself even from Kittle at this point because Kittle has not played in, you know, a month now. So that has been the big part of all this. And, and really guys, it circles back to your first question about how Matt LaFleur has impacted this team, the, the internal development, you know, the Packers have had shuffling along the offensive line. Well, Adam Stenovich, the offensive line coach, replaced James Campen, one of the most respected offensive line coaches in the league. And the Packers' offensive line has not missed a beat really all season. 
Uh, Billy Turner is having his best year as a pro. Elton Jenkins looks like a future all-pro. David Bakhtiari is the highest-paid offensive lineman in league history and still, I think, the best offensive tackle in football. So they've been able to make do with the the internal pieces that they've put together here. Now, does any of that justify – you know, the positional value, I, I think the Jordan Love pick is is justifiable because quarterback is so important and his talent is so apparent. The bigger question for me is, like, what happened on day two? You take A.J. Dillon in the second round, uh, and he's your running back three, and, you know, last week they needed him. Jamal Williams gets hurt, and he gets one carry. He breaks off an 18-yard run and then doesn't play basically the rest of the game. It's like, okay, what's going on here? Josiah DeGuara, the third-round tight end, um, what was set to be, I think, a big part of this offense, and he tears his ACL in September, and, and you lose him. I think you can make the case that there were probably some other positions where they could have gotten better positional values uh, there, uh, and you know what? It hasn't really mattered. Maybe it'll matter in the playoffs. My, my position on this is and always has been that most rookies are bad, and that if you are relying heavily on rookies, Uh, you probably were not a very good team to begin with. Now, there are exceptions to these rules. Last year, we saw A.J. Brown carry a passing game in in Tennessee. But I think the other thing we're seeing this year is that that could just as easily have been Corey Davis. And, you know, that that the structure of this offense really helps those guys uh, be in a position to succeed. We're seeing Devontae Adams play at a whole new level. He He was already a stud player. This offense helps make those guys even better. And I think that was also part of the calculation from the Packers front office here. I'm going to close out by sticking with the offense. The Packers, I'm really excited for this game because the Packers have two of my favorite offensive skill position players in the league in Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. I'm not going to ask about Devontae Adams because we all know just how good he is. He is always open. He catches everything. He's pretty much uncoverable. And I'm expecting him to go off against this defense as as most receivers have. But Aaron Jones is the interesting one one to me because I think he's one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. And he's just insanely efficient on a per-touch basis. But to me, it seems like the Packers don't ever seem intent on truly playing him like most running back workhorses do, at least in terms of their snap counts. I know they love Jamal Williams, and he's a good player. But Aaron Jones just seem, seems to be an elite talent. Uh, who doesn't really get the the snap count that maybe a Christian McCaffrey or Ezekiel Elliott does. Uh, do you think there's room for growth in terms of Jones' role, particularly in the passing game where he's taken huge advantage of mismatches against linebackers in the past? And could we possibly see that this week with Jamal Williams potentially hobbled? I think he he got injured in the last game. I, do, I don't know if he's going to play or not. Yeah, he did get hurt against Carolina. You know what's interesting, guys, is Aaron Jones was sort of the breaking case of emergency guy last year and Devontae Adams misses a month and Aaron Jones becomes the focal point of the offense and they used him in the passing game. They obviously his ground game was a big part. He goes out and has, uh, I believe it was four touchdowns against the Cowboys in a road win and a game that the Packers really dominated from start to finish, despite the final score, I think ends up being, you know, a 10 point game, but, but they were up like 31, 10 in the fourth quarter of that game. Um, the, 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 Aaron Jones in the passing game part has not been as big a, a part of this, this game plan week in week out this season, his runs have been down and they, they've, they've talked a lot about trying to save the hits on his body. I think they want him to be maximally fresh in the postseason. And we've seen, you know, times when they felt like, okay, they really needed a spark. You know, you're going to just going short week 
it was the Aaron Jones show and he was coming off an injury and it was just like, yeah, he's going to be on a snap count. And then all of a sudden it's like, psych, no, he's not. He's going to be every play that they run is going to be either a handoff to Aaron Jones, a jet sweep to Aaron Jones, a pop pass to Aaron Jones, a screen to Aaron Jones. I mean, it was, it was the Jones show. And so I think in high leverage moments, we're going to see more of that. Um, they haven't needed to go to it as much this year. And, and I think if you take some of the stuff that they've been really good about um, this season in, in pushing this offense forward and then take some of the stuff from last year that they needed to do sort of out of necessity because of Devontae Adams' injuries and the other injuries in the receiver group. I mean, the, the, the Packers won a game earlier this year with um, – Marquez Valdez-Scantling as the number one receiver and, and guys that you've never heard of. I mean, they put up 30 points on the Falcons uh, throwing to Darius Shepard and Malik Taylor. And a lot of that had to do with they were able to run the ball effectively. They were able to get the running backs involved and they were able to get the tight ends involved. I'm not sure if Chase Sternberger is going to be able to come off that concussion and play this week or not. But Jones is, you know, your, your best players are your trump cards. And so if you can find a way to get Devontae Adams involved, you don't need to worry as much about Aaron Jones because any, any Devontae Adams touch is going to be 10, 15, 20 plus yards. We know that Aaron Jones, you know, you're, you're probably going to get more fours, fives and sixes, but you can also get 77. Like we saw to seal uh, the Philly game when, when you, you know, maybe you need both against Carolina. They moved heaven and earth. The Panthers did. They played their three, three, five, two wide safeties, to try and make the Packers do everything in the middle of the field into some tight windows with dropping linebackers and speed everywhere. And the Packers weren't able to do it, but guess what? You play two deep safeties in a, in a three, three, five alignment. The Packers are going to be able to run the ball. Aaron Jones averaged seven yards a carry against the Panthers. And, and Matt LaFleur was like, Hey, look, we, we have the league MVP, but when Aaron Rod- or when Aaron Jones is averaging seven yards a carry, we got to get him the ball more. And uh, I think that's a pretty great luxury to have. There are very few teams in the league that have a, a one-two running back receiver punch as good as the Packers do with, with Jones and Adams. I think certainly the Titans have a, have a, uh, a card to play here with Henry and, and Brown, the, the Saints with, with Kamara and Thomas. And I don't think it is at all coincidental that those two, three teams, excuse me, uh, look like they are going to be competing for conference titles and Super Bowl titles this season. Peter, we really appreciate you joining us. We've been sending each other messages throughout this talking about how awesome your analysis and your contributions have been. But, but before you go, let everyone know where on Sunday night they can keep up with, with your, uh, your, your tweets and everything about this game. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm I'm stoked for this game. I mean, I can't wait. It, it is a game that has been circled uh, for for weeks for me, so I'm I'm excited to watch it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Check out Locked On Packers, which is uh, our daily Green Bay Packers podcast. We are the number one Packers podcast on the internet. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's the, that's the best place to find my work. I also cover the Packers for the Nation for Packer Report. Um, a little bit all over the place. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And, and before we go to a break, Matthias, I'll, I'll say this. You know, he, he just said this is a game that, that he anyway has had circled for a while. When was the last time that the Titans were in a position to be a game that was circled for anyone other than Jacksonville, Indianapolis, or Houston? 
I don't know. I cannot answer. Probably 2008 when we were 13 and three. That that's the last time. But that's the that's the team the Titans have become because their offense is so exciting to watch, and they're just racking up wins. That we're that team now. We're one of those teams that a lot of teams want to play because they want to measure themselves against. And it's just crazy how far we've come. We probably thought we would never get to this uh get to this place for for the last decade it it was just brutal but here we are and i think we should appreciate it all right we're going to go to a quick break when we get back we are going to let you know what the titans need to do to move to 11 and 4 and beat the packers and we're going to do stop the nonsense all that in 30 seconds all righty we are back, and we, we, again, really appreciate Peter joining the podcast. And now, guys, before we get to stop the nonsense, a couple of topics we can hit on about this Packers game that I think the three of us know very well. Uh, let's start with Matt LaFleur. We talked about it with Peter, but but I want to get you know our three takes on Matt LaFleur. I've told the story before of... You know, on New Year's Eve 2018, sitting in the writer's room at, at St. Thomas Sports Park and, and hearing people joking, hey, hey, y'all remember when we said Matt LaFleur might get hired as a head coach? <laughs> and then like a week later, he got hired as a head coach. Um, and so clearly things have, have, have surprised people because Matt LaFleur has been exceptional as the Packers head coach. He finished 13 and three in their, in his first year and figures to have a similar finish in 2020. What do we think about Matt LaFleur guys? Uh, you know, it, just really any thoughts you, I don't have a specific question, just spe- any thoughts you have about Matt LaFleur and, and, and who he is as a coach and perhaps who he was uh, with the Titans two years ago. I've been thoroughly impressed with his first two seasons with with the Packers. Uh, I mean, last year, I think they were probably worse than their record probably implied, but you don't go 13 and three by accident. And I don't know. They like, like Peter mentioned, he's been more of a culture guy than, than I think I probably imagined. I thought they would just hire him because of his offensive past offensive repertoire in the past. Uh, with McVay and Shanahan and, and all that, but he seems to really be a leader of men, which I guess we kind of saw a, a, at the Titans, but I didn't personally see him uh, as being this of a success early on. Granted, they haven't won anything yet, but they did the NFC Championship last year, and then this year, I mean, their offense has been miles ahead of their first season, and it looks like Lafleur has really caught his stride as a play caller, which we really didn't see uh, in Tennessee. But him and Rodgers are just, they're really in sync. And, and when something when something goes wrong or if Rodgers sees something that he doesn't like or Lafleur sees something that he doesn't like, they talk it through and they have a really good relationship. And I think that's something we didn't see last year. And it's been surprising to see that that chemistry kind of develop and in turn their offense has become one of the best offenses in the entire league so it's definitely exciting I'm kind of happy for him like I I know that the Tennessee experiment didn't go well but he always struck me as like a a nice guy you know a good personality and I'm kind of glad uh that it's going well for him and I find myself kind of cheering for the Packers, whenever they play NFC games, obviously not when they play the Titans, but whenever their games are on, I'm usually cheering for them because I like a lot of their players and 
I like seeing Matt LaFleur succeed, even though it didn't go all that well with the Titans. I, I usually cheer for for Titans alumni uh, whenever they move on. Yeah, I agree, because I think the NFC North is one of the more fun uh, divisions just because you have them, and I like the Vikings a lot. And that they've, for whatever reason, I've really you know been attracted to those teams in the last year or so. But it's I've heard this a lot when people talk about the – Stefan or Stefan Diggs, uh, uh, Justin Jefferson trade where everybody wants to say, you know, which team won, blah, blah, blah. And then they all say, you know, but this is the rare time where both teams win. That's kind of how it feels with the Titans when they let uh, LaFleur go and they got Arthur Smith. Like it feels like LaFleur needed Aaron Rodgers to kind of say like, look, I'll be the confident because to me, it always felt like LaFleur lacked some level of confidence. Like that, that's, I, I can't speak to why I thought that that's just how I thought he called plays. I didn't think he was aggressive enough deep. I didn't think he was committed enough to doing what Arthur Smith has done, uh, you know, and you can argue 10 different reasons why that may or may not be true, but that was, that was the impression I got. And it seems like they have done really well together and like Arthur Smith needed somebody who was a veteran and who could kind of do whatever Arthur Smith needed him to do. That's sort of the most win-win situation you can get whenever you lose an offensive coordinator who gets hired to be a head coach. So I think LaFleur has done a great job. I really like what he's done. As much as I did not want him to succeed early for petty reasons because I wanted to be right about Mariota and I wanted to be, (laughs) you know, I wanted to say like, it's LaFleur's fault. That's that's why we suck, whatever. Like, it turns out that that's not true. There were other factors. I won't say whether it was Mariota or not. But the Titans now are much better off than when LaFleur left, and the Packers now are a lot better off since he's been there. So it worked out for everybody. I was wrong when I thought that LaFleur wasn't a very good coach. He is, and maybe it's a situation like Frable where he's a better head coach than he is a coordinator or, you know, whatever the case may be, I've been very impressed with what he's done. I think Matt LaFleur's biggest problem with the Titans was Marcus Mariota. And I don't think that's a very outrageous thing to say because the same thing happened to Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith's offense was even worse than Matt LaFleur's over the first you know six weeks of the 2019 season. But once Tannehill got in there, everything got a whole lot better. And I, I think you know Matt LaFleur coached one of the greatest coaching performances I've ever seen, and it's not hyperbole. Uh, It was the Titans' win over the Texans in Week 2 of 2018 when they uh, had very little players on that roster. LaJuan was hurt. Mariota was hurt. uh, Delaney Walker was out. And somehow the Titans managed to beat the Texans in that game uh, behind a very strong game plan for LaFleur. I agree with what, the, what both of you said and what Peter said earlier, that he's probably a better head coach than he is a play caller. Though he does come from the Shanahan tree, he is not this offensive genius, schemey guy. But I think that those guys are often overrated. I think that you have probably two of those guys in the NFL that are legit, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, and then everybody else is just kind of a good play caller and you have to be more than a good play caller to be a head coach. And he certainly has that moxie. It is time as we close out to do our favorite segment. 
stop the nonsense. I haven't gone first in a few weeks, so I will start us off. Mine is simple this week. It's one that has been on my mind for a long, long time. But every week I'm like, no, that's petty. No, that's petty. I finally, over the last week, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, I have to bring this up and stop the nonsense. This is the grammar police in me coming out. So this happened a lot back in the day when Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry were impending free agents. And it's happening again now that we're having the discussion about Corey Davis's impending free agency. When you want... To say, you know, please re-sign Corey Davis. We need to re-sign Corey Davis. For the love of all that is good and holy, use a hyphen. You're not resigning Corey Davis. He's not quitting. He's not resigning. He is re-signing. And if you don't put the hyphen, the word you typed is resigning. So, that might be petty. That might be nitpicky. It is just, it's been too, it's been too much. Resign, not resign. Thank you for attending this TED Talk. <laughs> that bothers me, too. It's also the a part and a part that bothers <laughs> me also. It is really frustrating. Now, now I, I will expose myself here. One of those type of things that I have been awful with, and, and I still hate myself because I posted a column with this in the title spelled incorrectly – is compliment like like you know I, you look good you know you're a nice person versus compliment as in like something is a compliment to something else complementary because one has an i and one has an e that admittedly is something i'm very bad with but that's it, it, sort of in the same realm but yeah please add the hyphen yeah i have nothing to say because i'm a terrible speller like <laughs> I'm, I'm just like hope I was hoping you wouldn't bring up the complimentary thing because we've talked about it before in the past and it is truly the worst because now that we've said that every time I type the way I think it's supposed to be spelled I'm always wrong which is uh, super fun for my neurosis um, I'll go ahead and go next if, if that's cool Matthias um, so my mine is from some dude named Seth uh, who was on Twitter and said, and this popped up on Titans Twitter a lot, so you might know it, but he said, Matt LaFleur made Derrick Henry relevant when he was the OC for the Titans. He will dissect their offensive players for the defense. Uh, Packers yep. win 37 to 25, no bias, go Pat, go. We had several uh, people so, tweet that at us. Yeah, that which makes a ton of sense. Like, that's it's stupid for a lot of reasons. You know, Matt LaFleur didn't have... Uh, well, we we just we just talked about this, so I'm not going to go back into it. But the what I what I really wanted to talk about was okay. Let's look at what Derrick Henry did with Lafleur as the OC. He had uh, 215 rushes for 1,059 yards. He had 12 touchdowns, uh, along of 99 yards, which we all remember. He averaged 4.9 yards in an attempt. Okay, that is a really good season. That would be like third in the NFL right now. Since that time, Derrick Henry's run for 1540 in 2019 and 1679 now with two games to go. He's had 16 touchdowns and 15 touchdowns. And the natural response to this is, oh, it's a volume thing, which is sort of true. But he also averaged 5.1 yards per attempt last year and then 5.2 yards per attempt this year. So 
not only did LaFleur get less out of Derrick Henry than Arthur Smith has, but he didn't even commit to him to be a starting running back. And we've, you know, it's well documented that we didn't love Derrick Henry initially and we thought he had some flaws and he still has those flaws, but he's also one of the best home run threats in the NFL at any position. So you work around that and you find a way to get him the ball in space. But this weird idea that Matt LaFleur knows all the secrets to the Titans offense and he, he's going to go, you know, he's going to bring out their playbook and write it by. He doesn't know like that. That's not his expertise. If the Titans want to run a lot of wildcat, you know, maybe, maybe LaFleur will know more stuff. If we want to run more tight end sweeps, maybe LaFleur will know more, but as for our passes to Aaron Brewer and, you know, essentially else that makes us the number one offense in the NFL or makes the Titans the number one offense in the NFL. He didn't know any of that. So it's just, it, it's not complicated, but it's not like he's got all the secrets to it either. So that's, that's my stop. The nonsense is the idea that the advantage here is Matt LaFleur's inside knowledge and not the fact that the Packers are just a really good team. My stop the nonsense is the Pro Bowl because it sucks yep. and it has forever. But of course, I have a couple of gripes with it. First of all, why are fullbacks still getting voted to the Pro Bowl? There are like three teams in the entire NFL that use fullbacks and they just don't matter. That position doesn't matter. Sorry. Sorry to break it to you, football purists. And I don't understand why they get why they get Pro Bowl nods. Anyway, another gripe, probably the biggest gripe. What is Deshaun Watson doing on a Pro Bowl roster over Ryan Tannehill, who has probably been the third best quarterback in the league this year behind Mahomes and Rodgers? Tannehill has accounted for 35 touchdowns uh, to six turnovers. Deshaun Watson has accounted for 30 touchdowns to eight turnovers. One of them has led his team to a 10-4 record. The other one has led his team to a 4-10 and record. Like, can someone explain this to me? Yeah, Watson is is playing, I guess, with a lesser supporting cast. But he hasn't been better than Tannehill. The, oh, the stats I, don't say it. You, you want an explanation? It's very easy. Deshaun Watson probably has more Twitter followers than Ryan Tannehill. Ah, right. This is the Pro Bowl we're talking about. I forgot. Yeah, fans, I totally fans, forgot. Fans. For so it's the, it's yeah. the beauty pageant. It's the popularity contest. Yeah. Don't yeah. even get me started on the offensive line. The Marquis. No one. Yeah. No, Marquis Pouncey has made the Pro Bowl every year because no one knows any other center in the league. This is exactly what it is. And yeah. the the wildest one is Evan Ingram making it for the NFC. He has 570 receiving yards, I think, something like that, and one touchdown. And every time I watch a Giants game, he's dropping several passes, and he's been— I think there's a video of him, like, finding out he made the Pro Bowl, and he can't believe it. Of course he can't. No one can believe it. it I mean, that'd be no like sense. them calling me and telling me that I made the Pro Bowl. Le- legitimately, <laughs> because you made the same type of impact for this giant season. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean, fans should not be allowed to vote. I, I, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. It's because, it's like you said, it's a popularity contest, and they just want as many eyes on the product as possible. Look, I, I love the NFL product. People are sheep. If you tell them, if you let the coaches pick who the best players are, they'll still watch the Pro Bowl just the same. Like, I mean, reward the good players. Just let the NFL P or let 
let somebody, some governing body or somebody that actually knows what they're talking about, let them pick the best players and then go, I mean, go from there. Like you already let the coaches vote on it. Let them vote on it. Let make it a rule where they can't vote for any of their own players. And then just do like that. I, I don't understand why this is so hard. Like fans shouldn't vote, like get to vote because it affects millions of millions of dollars in guarantees for all these players. And it also affects the reputation of the teams. Well, so I just fact-checked my earlier statement, and it was correct. Ryan Tannehill has about 140,000 Twitter followers. Deshaun Watson has 1.3 million. So there's a pretty stark contrast there. I will say this, that's, too. Huh? Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's that's the same ratio of Tannehill sacks to Watson sacks this year, too. It's <laughs> yeah. like 10 to 1. Um, and I'll say this, too. This year has been very difficult, and and the coronavirus has been just a, a massive pain for everyone, both those who have lost you know loved ones and those who haven't as well. But goodness gracious, if there's one thing that's good from all of this, it's that the Pro Bowl is not going to actually be played, and that it's just a list. This should have happened years ago. I did not know that. That's the best thing the NFL has ever done. Yeah, I won't have to watch three days of dodgeball because I keep thinking that I've missed time <laughs> in the Pro Bowl and I'll miss the three seconds of Titans on camera where they half-heartedly go through things. Oh my gosh, it's it's an, it's miserable. But it's not going to happen this year. It's just the list. Uh, we will give more airtime to the All-Pro list when that comes out in February, certainly, because that actually matters. Until then, and until next week, when we come back to recap the Titans and the Packers game, I'm Luke. For Will and Matthias, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.